Thank you, Stephen and Gail, Gary, Lauren, Margaret, and Dave. The Lord richly bless you. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's continue in our series. I think this is about part seven. And it will take a different theme, so we'll give you a, a synopsis. We'll take you on. And there will be some Bible prophecy in this this evening also. And you'll see how God's word is uh, 100% uh, infallible, true. And you'll see that Bible prophecy proves God's word to be true. What is the use in Bible prophecy? Because we can see, especially coming with an historical point of view, we can see God's word fulfilled just as he said it would be. Um, I want you to turn with me please again to our opening reading as always which will be in 1 Peter chapter 2 please. 1 Peter chapter 2. And just a few verses, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Also, turn with me again to Matthew 24, one verse, verse 14. One verse, verse 14. This is speaking of end times which we're living in. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. For a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. So we're looking at the second coming there of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one more reading please. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honour that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Notice that term. In bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Keep your Bible open because we will be referring to to it then. Let's pray. Father, now shut each and every one of us in with your own self and speak to our hearts and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. You know, there are two kingdoms of Israel, the northern kingdom and then there's the southern kingdom. I've said it before, there's a key to Bible prophecy when you look at the destinies, the separation of these two kingdoms. The northern kingdom became known as the northern house of Israel. They're called Samaria also because of their capital city. Just like Belfast is the capital city of Northern Ireland. Jerusalem was the capital city of the southern kingdom. Just like Dublin is the the southern capital of Ireland. So if you can keep that in your mind, it gives you a, a mental picture if you can imagine the land of Israel with Israel separated. And then, of course, different judgments were pronounced upon them. The house of Israel in the north with Samaria had a line of kings. And Judah, the southern kingdom, Judah's where we get the names, the derivative name or nickname, if you want, Jew from. 
And it had Jerusalem and the kings coming out of there, King David and Solomon, Rehoboam and so on. Now we've looked at these sort of things, but God had said to the northern kingdom that he would disperse them if they weren't uh, walking in his ways, if they didn't stop their idolatry and their spiritual adultery, that God would bring a judgment upon them. And of course, he sent prophets, Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Hosea, among other prophets. When we read Daniel, we read of Daniel in Babylon. That's the southern kingdom later carried into Babylon. So there are prophets for different uh, kingdoms, the northern and the southern And when you learn these things, you see how God's dealing with us today is. So the northern kingdom refused to be led by God and refused to obey God's word and refused to obey God's law. And God sent the Assyrian. Now now we looked at uh, the book of Micah and we seen how Micah had prophesied also. And the Lord said he would send the Assyrian in to the northern kingdom. And of course, we then read of uh, uh, Shalmaneser, among others, who came in from the Assyrian army and took away, over a period of a few years, conquering and taking away Manasseh, that is, East Manasseh, over the River Jordan, and then coming in and taking more away of the house of Israel. The ten tribes were in the north. And they gathered into an immense multitude. Josephus, a Jewish historian, will tell you. And he says they were up around the rivers of Gozan. And he says by the cities of the Medes and the Persians. And they went over what's known as the Caucasus Mountains today. The Dariel Pass. And to many they were lost in history. But they can be traced that they went westward. And then the southern kingdom went to Babylon. And they then came back. A remnant of them. And we read of Ezra and Nehemiah. When we read of Esther still in Babylon, you remember Esther came before the king and she then saved through Mordecai also saved the Jewish nation that was there at the time from destruction. And 42 and then another 7,000, if my memory's right, came out from Babylon to build the walls and the temple. And from that then came the line of the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of Judah, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And what happens is when we are reading in Peter's epistle, and we read, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people. And what Peter is saying, he's speaking to a people who have heard the gospel, who have been saved by grace through faith. In fact, in the second letter, he speaks of those of us who have, who have a, a, like, a, a faith likened unto each other. The similar faith that is in Christ, in other words. In other words, Christ lives in our hearts. But here we have him saying in 1 Peter, and if you want to turn to it just briefly, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers notice scattered abroad through Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, notice elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Here he's speaking to the strangers initially where the gospel would go to where Israel were scattered. And those places, they started across the map. You would see them going westward. We told you through years they would go. There's many went even years before and after to southern Spain. Paul talks about wanting to go to Spain. And of course up through Spain and even into the British Isles as we know them today. So what happens is the gospel is going west. The Holy Ghost sent Paul west, if you remember. He wouldn't let him go to the east. 
he went west into Turkey where it is today and into Greece and then into Rome hoping to go to Spain and so on, so on and so on. I think I'm going east in yours. I should be doing it the other way, shouldn't I? I should be. Paul was going east that way. This is west for use here. And so when we read that, here we have Peter saying, those who have heard the gospel and come under the new covenant and are born again of the Spirit and trusting in the blood of Jesus, he says, this word scattered means getting the grains of wheat and throwing it a certain direction like a farmer would when he's sowing seed. That God had grabbed this house, northern kingdom, and scattered them. We've taken you through parables. Listen, you can download it online or you can get the CDs and we'll run you off CDs to listen to the full series of it if it helps. But here Peter tells us something. And notice what he tells us in our reading. He tells us why we are saved. He says that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Herein is the, the first calling of every believer. Here's the first calling of all of us who have heard the gospel of saving grace. You know, we have looked at things like uh, Hosea and we've looked at it in, in a bit of detail. And Hosea and the, the prophet is a type of Yahweh or a type of Jehovah, if you want. And he's told to marry a woman of whoredoms who is a type of the house, the northern kingdom of Israel. And God says, when you marry her, she'll be unfaithful to you. And she is like what my people are like unto me. And whenever she is like that, send her away. And he sends her away. And then the story talks about Hosea going out to bring her back into the fold, to bring her back into his arms, to return, as it were, and the scripture says, to her first husband. In other words, returning Israel, i.e. The, the, through Christ and through the blood of Jesus, returning to their first husband. Married supper of the Lamb, as we read, that is to come, and the bride coming for his wonderful, uh, glorious bridegroom. Notice this, whenever you read this, it says in Matthew 24 and verse 14, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, when you look down through the years at the gospel that's went out, you look down through the years at the, the moving of the Spirit, through the Reformation, right the whole way through the outpouring of, of, of the Spirit and Pentecost, the great evangelical awakenings, and you look right through till today, and you see even how it's able to be reached around all the countries of the world. Surely this is for you and I to realize that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the Lord is about to break the clouds, that the Lord Jesus will return in power and great glory, and that his glory will be seen from the east as to the west, so his glory will shine over all of the earth, and all of us who know him will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and you and I will be with our Lord and our Savior forever and ever and ever. A wonderful and it's a glorious gospel. So that's why I've entitled this God's Great and Glorious Gospel. Now notice this. Herein is some prophecy for you. If you want to turn with me please to the book of Hosea. Hosea. Marvelous book. One of my favorite Old Testament books. Hosea, that type, that man who is a type of, of Yahweh. And here we have the house of Israel sinning as, and Gomer, Hosea's wife, is the type of the house of Israel. And in verse 1, we have looked at it, but let's look at it again. They are to conceive children. And notice what it says, Hosea chapter 1, 
Verse 6, And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhama, for I will have... I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel. Call your child this. This is a visible, a physical representation that I will not have any more mercy upon the house of Israel. That is the the northern kingdom. Notice what it says in verse 7. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. That is the southern kingdom. Because they were still walking in the ways of the Lord at this time. And will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. But when they, when she had weaned Loruhama, she conceived, notice, and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Lohami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Here God says to the northern kingdom again, you're not my people, you've sinned. And I will not be your God because you're sinning before me and you refuse to turn away and repent from your sin to turn on to me. So notice what God says. It seems very harsh. It seems like the Lord is just totally, has no mercy left whatsoever and there's no grace here. And you're wondering what sort of God is he that he could do this? But when we think of the sin and the debauchery and you go into the history of this, God was long-suffering and he was gentle and he was good and he was great and he was kind and he was compassionate unto them like he is unto you and like he is unto me. And he was the exact same then as he is now. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. But notice this. Notice verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of God. Notice that. He says there's going to be a time after you're dispersed. There's going to be a time after you're cast away in punishment. There's going to be a time when I will be able to say, Now you're my sons. And how will that happen? What changes God's mind? Is God unstable, as it were, that he would have a, 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 two, a, a, a two-fold mind? Absolutely not. Our God had a plan, has a purpose for the gospel to reach all the nations, that at the scattering of his people and the regathering again, that the gospel would reach every nation around the world, and that men and women from every nation, kindred, tribe and tongue would hear of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb and their sins bore in his own body on the tree, and they would come to saving faith at the outpouring and the drawing of the Holy Ghost. That's God's plan for the nations and for the individual. Listen to this in chapter 2. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah, plead with your mother, plead for she is not my wife. In other words, you look back and you can see, you look at your mother, I'm going to cast out Israel. I'll cast out the northern house. You're no longer my wife. In fact, we're told that God divorces the house of Israel. And so in order to remarry, according to his own law, God has to, uh, there has to be a death of a testator. And so God in the person of his son comes and he dies and then he is resurrected from the dead. And that's why he's called the great bridegroom who's coming for the bride. That's a wonderful gospel, isn't it? It's not a wonderful gospel that God has went and planned and purposed all of this that you and I 
could be redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus and you and I could be saved for eternity. Notice this. Neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and see her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children for they be the children of whoredoms. Notice that. Notice the language of the Lord here. I will not have mercy. You know, if you're going in all the time and your husband is, is always cheating with woman after woman after woman or your wife with man after man. And it's like walking into your own home. It's like walking into up your own stairs. It's like going into your own room and there is your wife in the act of adultery and you forgive her. And then you come back maybe from work the next day and it's the same again and you forgive her. And then the next day and it's the same again and you forgive her and then you forgive her again and she continuously does it. This was the house of Israel. And I have something to tell you. God who has blessed our nation with this book and God who has blessed our nation with the blood of Jesus and God who has blessed our nation and our province the same God is going to bring a judgment upon this land simply because God has called us, God has blessed us, and we have thrown it in his face. And again, just yesterday, again, we had the homosexual gay pride parade, the largest in Ireland, in this very hometown of ours here in Belfast, in our own capital city. God is not pleased with our nation, brothers and sisters. God is not pleased with what he sees in Britain. God is not pleased with what he sees in Ireland, nor in Ulster. In fact, God's wrath is being pent up and held back only by grace and mercy. But there will be a time for those who do not call upon the name of the Lord to be saved and amend their ways before him, he will pour out his wrath upon this place. I am ready when God comes. I am ready when Christ comes. I am ready through the grace of God and the blood of the Lamb to be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of eye to be changed before my Savior and to be with him simply because of all that he has done for me. And I would ask you, are you? Are you ready should Christ return even today? Here we have the Lord saying, I will not have any more mercy. No, look, look at this, verse 6. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy ways with thorns, and will make a, make a wall that she find not her paths. And she shall, she, ha, she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and they, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. In other words, like the prodigal son, the prodigal son we told you, we have explained it to you again in this series. The prodigal son, it it's, talks about a backslider. Of course it does, and that's fine. And it's applied to the backslider to come back to the Lord. And the father is almighty God, and we have the, the grumpy older brother in the church, and that's fine. But really the prodigal son is the house of Israel. Here you see Hosea prophesying of it. When the, when this woman, this Israel woman turns around and says, I will go back again. Here is the prodigal returning back again. He says, I'll go back to my first husband. But listen, when the, the law of God, God's own law says, if a wife was to leave her husband and go with another, another lover, another man, the husband could not take her again. 
That's what the word of God said. He was not the taker again. And, the, and, and Israel going, but God says, how do I take her again? Well, by the death of his son, God hanging on the cross. And he took all of that law and he nailed it to his son. Listen, aren't you glad that in all of our failures and in all of our faults and through all our hardships and through our relationships and through hurts and through divorces and through all of those things that he is a merciful and a kind and a gracious and a faithful and a good God to you and I. Aren't you glad that he loves us with an everlasting love? Aren't you glad that he sees past our failures and our faults? Aren't you glad that, that he's not going to hold us guilty? That he's not going to hold us and condemn us? Aren't you glad for this great and glorious gospel that the grace of God passes your understanding, passes my understanding, that the love of the Lord overflows every heart with bellows and bellows of love. He overcomes us. Aren't you glad for this wonderful, glorious gospel of grace where God says, I have nailed your sins to my son on the tree. Aren't you glad this evening? For I am. Boy, you should have just shouted amen then. Aren't you glad? Amen? Oh, come on, folks. I'm going to have to kick my shoes off next time. Somersaults. Aren't you glad? I think of my failures. I think of my past. I think of my life. And Jesus paid it all. This wonderful and glorious gospel is known as comfortable words in Hosea chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her, that is the house of Israel, and bring her into the wilderness. This is speaking of them traveling west, going into Europe and Scandinavia, into Britain and so on. And behold, I will lure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably under there. And I will give her her vineyards from thence. In other words, I'm going to give you new vineyards. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to start to woo you. I'm going to speak comfortably unto you. We look before the word comfortably is the word live, which means I will speak, listen, to the inner man. The Lord says, and I will speak to the inner woman. You see, before they had ritual, they had ceremony, they had sacrifice. But after the cross... The gospel would go and grace would reach and the Spirit of God would quicken a heart and the Spirit of God would move upon a man and woman and let them see the Lamb of God that bears away their sin and draw them with comfortable words is what the Lord is speaking of. When I got saved, I heard comfortable words. When I got saved, I was sitting in a church that, uh, and I thought they were all lunatics. They were all clapping their hands and lifting them up and praising the Lord. And you know, I'm so glad I was saved in a Pentecostal church because whenever I learned to praise the Lord, joy filled my heart and my spirit spun around inside me here he he speaks comfortable words to the drug addict and he speaks comfortable words to the alcoholic and he speaks comfortable words to the woman who's had five husbands at the well he speaks comfortable words to the man who is lame he speaks comfortable words to the deaf and to the dumb and to the blind he speaks comfortable words to those who are homeless he speaks comfortable words he says I am the Lord your God who gave my son for you and he speaks comfortable words to the inner man and to the inner woman that we love him not in ritual but in relationship Look, I could write all, I told you before, write down the, 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 the fridge and put it on a big piece of paper, all the law of the Lord, and write it down. 
I could write all the law of my house and write it down and say to my children, look, see this and this and this and this and this and go down the road. I want you to do all this and keep all this and make sure it's done to the T. And they go, yes, daddy, yes, daddy, yes, daddy, okay, daddy. And then they walk away and they forget it and they just get on with their life. But if I bring my children up in the way, if I bring my children up and it's a precept in their heart, if I bring it up my children, it's in their mind. If I bring it up my children to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. If I bring my children up, this is how we run our house. This is how we deal with situations. This is how we love the Lord. This is what the Word of God says. This is how God deals with us. This is the love of the Lord for you. If I bring my children up to have the Lord within their hearts that they will love Him from the very depths of their being, then they will carry Him and carry His Word everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. And so God says, I will speak to your inner man and to the inner woman. It means I'll speak to your mind. I'll speak to your understanding. I'll speak to your conscience. I'll speak to your appetites. So here, he who says he would have no mercy, and they're not his people, listen to what he says then in First Peter chapter 2. We've already looked at this, but I want to run this past you. Verse 10, which in time past... We're not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy. Notice that. But now has obtained mercy. But then he says, you're not my children, you're not my sons. Well then, if you want to look at John's gospel, please, go to John's gospel. Let the Bible interpret itself, and let the Bible speak for itself, and let the Bible tell us what the Lord says, and not what mom thinks or what others would say. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, the Lord Jesus, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Notice verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice what the Lord's, Lord says through John. He says that you are the sons and daughters of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, now born spiritually unto him. Go also to the little uh, first John, the first epistle of, sorry, the yeah, first epistle of John chapter 3. First epistle of John chapter 3. First one says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew not him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Notice what John's telling us, that now we're the sons of God. And when he returns, we will be completely made to be like him. Our bodies will be changed. So then we go to our reading in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, please. Book of Hebrews chapter 2. And let your eye run down to verse 10. For it became him, the Lord Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. Notice, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. In other words, he became flesh. He became a man in order that he would overcome the world and the sufferings that he had for us, we are made perfect in him. So here we are, the sons and daughters of the living God. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Why are we saved? 
it says in verse 9, that ye should show forth the praises of him. Notice. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I told you last week the word darkness is skatas. And it can mean literal darkness. And it can also mean this. It speaks of ignorance and respect of divine things and human duties. And the accompanying ungodliness that comes with it, together with immorality, with the consequent misery of hell. That's what it means here. He says, Peter says, you were in darkness. And there was a, you, you were ignorant to the divine things. And that ignorance was bringing you into further darkness, a deeper darkness. And the further you walked in your life and the longer you stayed in that darkness, he says you didn't even realize you were in darkness. You were blinded to it. You were dead in your sin and your trespasses. And consequently, it would bring you to Gehenna fire, the lake of fire. That's what Peter's saying here. So why should you praise Jesus tonight? Because he has called you out of that. Because he has called you out of that. When we think of where we have been saved from and when we think of where we were and Christ has brought us to, when we think of what we deserve in our sin and yet he has had mercy on us and calls us his sons and his daughters, then you and I, we should be jumping up and down, standing on our head and spitting nickels, cartwheeling up and down the floor and swinging from the chandeliers if you want, not that we have any, but you should be doing this to express the glory of God in your life, raising your hands onto him and thanking him for his goodness. But instead, the church would rather worry about who's looking. The church would rather worry about my dignity. Christ lost his dignity when he hung on the cross, naked and shame for you. Here, the Lord says in the book of Hosea, we'll look at darkness again in a moment, maybe. In fact, well, I'll go around this up and I'll do one more week. I've wanted to get it changed next week. But listen to this. If you're in the book of Hosea, please, let's turn to it. I want to show you something. This is tremendous. I want to show you a little bit of Bible prophecy following the house of Israel, the gospel going west, forming, changing names. God says, remember, I will hedge up their ways. They didn't know who they were. They became gentilized, if you want, Gentiles or gentilized. Notice this. Marvelous fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And let this sink into your ears this evening. Hosea chapter 6. Let's read from verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten, he will bind us up. He is the one who does it all. Notice verse 2. After two days will he revive us. Notice when will he revive us? In the third day. Notice, in the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. When we read this second verse, this is what it says. There's going to be two days when the Lord has torn 
and the Lord has smitten. In other words, speaks of the casting out and the dispersion. It speaks of the scattering off this northern kingdom. He says, but then you will turn and you will see God's hand in it. And he will start to bring healing. After two days, and the third day, he'll raise us up. Now, in Bible prophecy, it is almost 100% generally agreed, I think I could say, that time scales can be literal days. Here a day can be, in prophetic terms, it can be a day for a year. But also, according to Peter, who we're following his, his epistle here, it can be a, a, a thousand years for a day, and a day for a thousand years. So let's look at this. It wasn't, nothing happened literally in two and a half or three days here. We don't see anything great happening in a literal sense or in a, in a three year and within three years of this writing. So it must be the 1000 years. We see it fulfilled in Bible prophecy. And where do we see it? Well, in 676 AD, it was what's known as the final deportment of the house of Israel. Remember, Assyria is coming over from the, from the east to the west. Take Manasseh, and then they come back and there's war. And this goes on for a few years. In fact, 721 roughly BC was the first deportment of maybe Manasseh and around that area. But 676 was the final deportment. And the, the Assyrians came right down into the border to where the, 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 the house of Judah were. And they took what is known as the 46 fence cities of Judah 200,000 Judahites went with the house of Israel too. The Bible tells you that. And whenever you, you read about this, this is when Israel start praying, and, or the Judah start praying, and Jerusalem start panicking about what's going to happen. And, and you read about all, all these kings who are worried about the, 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 the attacks coming down. And because they turn their face to God, the Assyrians pull back and move away and leave them. But the rest of them are away. They're scattered. And it's around 120 years later when they fall into sin in Judah. And Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, takes them away into the, into the east. But here we have the three days. In 676 BC. 676, notice, BC. We have 2,000 years brings us up to the date. If you go 676 and go right down to the year zero, and then one for the changeover for one, and go right up again for the rest of the 2000, you come to the year 1324 AD. 1324 AD. What was it that happened to fulfill God's word? For this is the third day. The third day is when God would do something great and raise them up again. Bring his word out again and enlarge his word. You see, the number one, you see, uh, there's one God. Number two, we have a witness and testimony. Number three speaks of witness and testimony with greater depth. Length by breadth is a surface area, like at this table. That's just surface. But if you do length, breadth, and the depth of that table, it gives an idea of depth or height. It gives the idea of a cube form. Length, depth, and height. Three. For example, God has revealed himself, manifest and made known as Father, Son and Spirit. So it gives depth and we can understand those things. And here we have, here we have the depth, the number three. Christ was in the grave three days and three nights. 
Christ was there because it wasn't two. It wasn't just a witness. It was showing the full depth that Jesus died and went right into the place of the dead. In other words, they, the, 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 the Jews then believed that because of the heat, that on the fourth day, uh, corruption set in and we'd be smelly and like Lazarus was dead four days already, uh, says his sister to the Lord. He says, and by now he stinketh. In other words, Lord, he, he'll be putrefying. He's dead four days past the three-day mark. And Jesus went right to the line, but he fulfilled the scripture when the prophet said, Thy will not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And so God raised him on the third day, brought it the depth of the death of Christ and the depth of his, his victory over the grave, that it wasn't him holding his breath and it wasn't a swoon, but he died for us. Shows the depth of it. So what is the depth of this? Something deep must have happened after the year 1324 AD. And then the third day is the next thousand years. We're still living in that thousand years, by the way. Because we, 1324 plus 1000, there's 2324, so we're not there yet. Notice this, in that third year, God will raise us up in that third day. What happened? Well, first of all, we read that John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, was born in that year. God starts to raise up men and women. God starts to move in the earth and starts to bring forth his word because it had been uh, written in Latin chain to the pulpit that, uh, and the unlearned couldn't read so the unlearned couldn't read it and the learned couldn't bring it home with them by the Roman Catholic Church. It went into the dark ages. And here God starts to raise up men like John Wycliffe, the morning star, as he's known, of the Reformation. And then he is born that year. And then later after that comes William Tyndale with his translation of the scriptures. And in fact, this fulfills Bible prophecy too. Revelation chapter 10, if you want to read very briefly as we round up the end of this. Revelation chapter 10. Notice what it says here. John sees an angel with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea, speaking of dominion over all the earth. It's a type and a picture of Christ. And in his hand, one hand is pointing to heaven. And one hand, it says, he is holding a little book open. Verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book open, little book which is opened in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall be, make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. What is that little book? I'll show you that little book. There's it there. It's the word of God. It's the open Bible. No longer was it just for the rich and the affluent. No longer was it just for the hierarchy of the church. No longer was it just written in Latin and chained to the pulpit. No longer, but the word of God was not bound and the word of God was raised up. Printing presses were invented in Germany and then printing presses were invented or brought over to England and and different parts of Europe and they started to print the word of God. Here God says, I'll raise you up. He says, now raise my word up in the third day. This is the third day that we are living in from this time. 
God is still raising up men and women. God is still raising up his word. And we believe also that, that we became known as the people of the book over in these islands. Henry VIII, I know he was an old blackguard, you know, but Henry VIII, he, he, he wanted and ordered that a, 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 the people's Bible, as it was known, was put and placed in every pulpit within what was then become known as the Church of England. And here we have the Lord raising up his word again. Then, of course, we think of the reformers and the Puritans came. Then the evangelical awakenings came. And then they went to America, the great evangelical awakenings. Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And and all of that. George Whitfield starts preaching. John Knox was in Scotland at the time of the reformers. and, And it was just spreading throughout the land. God was raising up a people. Keep silent before me, O islands, and let my people renew their strength, he said. And these islands were renewing their strength in God. For they were going to spread the gospel unto all the nations before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Wesley, he starts preaching, saves England from a, 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 a French revolution. People were getting saved and John Wesley was battered and he was bruised and he was kicked out of every town and he wasn't allowed to preach in the streets and he wasn't even allowed to preach in fields and he was beaten and he was robbed and he was thrown out everywhere he went. He was an heretic because he was a nonconformist. And you know, you're still a heretic if you're a nonconformist. If you don't conform to what everyone wants and what the world wants and what churchianity wants. And John Wesley kept preaching until thousands, he says, one day. He says, well, I'll read you part of his journal sometimes. He says he, was, he went, he preached here and he preached there and people even let a bull out of a gate at him so that we'd chase him up the road. And they beat him and they stoned him and everywhere he went and he says he felt like giving up and one day he went to preach in a field and 10,000 came to hear him. God was renewing their strength and raising them up. Charles Wesley with his great hymns and all of this was happening in our nation. Said George Whitfield and others like him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, Oh, what a mighty ministry he had. William Booth, the Salvation Army, he was, a, he was a real stalwart for the faith. Then we had the 1859 revival, then the Welsh revival in 1904, and birthed out of that came, came many a preacher and an evangelist was born and birthed out of that. In the 1900s, Charles Parnham in Topeka, Kansas, and the outpouring of Pentecost there. It wasn't in Azusa Street first, I told you before. It was in Topeka, Kansas. Azusa Street happened five years later. But here we have uh, Topeka, Kansas with Charles Parham. Back home, the Reverend A.A. Body. He was an old minister who came down to the revival to see what all the hula was about and how this God was, how God was meant to be moving. And he went to different places and suddenly he came from Sunderland down and the Holy Ghost hit him and he started speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. And he took it on up and there was people in the world baptized in the Holy Ghost. God was raising up his people. Then we have Kilsyth in Scotland. We have Wales, Welsh Apostolic. The Williams brothers. We have George and Stephen Jeffries and Pastor Barrett from Scandinavia who'd done a mighty work out there. What was Peter saying to us? That God has called us. God has called you. God has called me. He's called us from darkness, a, a darkness of a pit of hell, a darkness of our sin. He's called us by his grace. He spoke comfortably unto our inner man and woman and he's allured us to himself. 
And he says, you're now my sons and you're now my daughters. They're in his Bible prophecy. So next time you read Hosea, I've heard some weird and wonderful things in this, by the way, on this prophecy. But next time you read Hosea, you think, Lord, look how you have raised us up. And so then came forth Hudson Taylor and Mary Slessor and all those that, that went forth into all the nations of the world, bringing the gospel of saving grace through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't our God a wonderful God? This is a great and a glorious gospel. Lord's will, I'll do one more. From darkness to light. I want to bring you into the examples of darkness. I wanted to do it tonight, but I thought I'll wait one more. And Israel are in light when Egypt's in darkness. But what does it mean? What does it mean? There's a word there for the darkness. There's an idea about the darkness. What does it mean? I'll tell you in the Lord's will next Sunday evening. God bless you all. May the Lord bless his word to all of our hearts. Time is flowing. I'm going to ask Guy and the team to, to lead us out in, in a time of prayer.